Welcome back to part two of Nothing Never Happens and the interview with Gordon Whitman, author of Stand Up, How to Get Involved, Speak Out, and Win in a World on Fire. Yeah, yeah. And another thing that I think is painful is that that is as alive an issue now as it was, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Um, And it's coming out in new ways with, you know, the white supremacist movement and white nationalism in our current administration. Um, So you work with uh, Interfaith. Um, I've read some things on the Faith in Action website, beautiful pieces written by rabbis and and others. Um, What what do you see as an important theological piece to all of this? Uh, Because the the faith-based communities are coming with sacred text and, you know, their own histories of oppressive religions, uh, but also uh, movement building, you know, in, in various ways, through especially the civil rights movement. Where do you tap into sort of liberation theology or um, what do you find inspiring in, in the messages that are, or that are being brought in terms of the stories that people bring to this, these trainings? Well, you said it, Tina, that, each of these, each of our sacred traditions and religious communities has has its own teaching on what our social obligations and moral obligations are to one another. So the the main thing is to encourage people to reflect on that, uh-huh. to um, to to not try to combine them or um, water them down, but really yeah. reflect on and tell the story of what. Catholic social teaching is, Lutheran social teaching is, uh-huh. um, Jewish traditions, Muslim traditions. So um, what you see often is that this question of where does religion stand? Uh-huh. Where, where do religious leaders, religious institutions stand? Do they stand on the side of the powerful? Are they about maintaining, protecting the status quo? Are they about dividing in order to um, control? Or are they on the side of people most directly impacted by injustice? Are they on the side of the poor? Are they on the side of justice? The traditions, the texts overwhelmingly teach us that religion should be on the side of people who are struggling. The, the challenge of, of keeping that, that idea alive and making it real is really what Faith in Action is about. Mm-hmm. It's, we're, we're in a struggle to say religion should be a force of unity uh-huh. and social progress and for people who don't necessarily have a faith tradition um, that social change is a spiritual uh-huh. activity it's it, saying i'm going to work with other people to make the world a better place yeah is, is all about finding your purpose in the world finding your meaning so it's really important, and, I, and when I wrote Stand Up, I really wanted to make the point that, um, you know, some people are coming at this through uh, through their religious um, orientation, through a relationship to God, um, mm-hmm. through the, the framework that they've been brought up in. Um, other people are coming at it from different places, and the key thing is that not that we tell people how to think, but we create a space for social change, for people to be directly involved. It is meaningful. The 
It's about yeah. how do I find purpose and meaning in my life? What's the impact I'm having on the world? And it doesn't have to come from a religious tradition yeah. or formal theology. Um, but we're, we're not going to, I don't think we get to the kind of change we need to have happen in our country, in the, in the world. We address issues of racism and growing inequality in the climate um, change without um, seeing our work as, as about purpose and meaning and spirituality. Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, well, one thing that I'm uh, experiencing in higher education after 30 years of teaching is a sort of uh, curving toward a neoliberal business model, even in a liberal arts um, a small liberal arts school that we're paying attention to things like uh, building skills and leadership that leans in and that doesn't rock the boat. And I've heard phrases like uh, tempered radicalism. Uh, mm -hmm. Anyway, um, there seems to be a leaning in terms of leadership and, and you know, helping you know, creating spaces for students to find that meaning uh, as, you know, fitting in with the status quo, not being uh, part of this prophetic resistance. And uh, I didn't know if you were, have, have seen that um, out in the world, especially um, uh, in, in higher ed situations that you may have worked in. Um, I think uh, at my particular college, we have amazing students who who know from the depths of their own stories um, and intersectional issues, um, they can they know how to resist this, um, given the space to tell their stories and unite with others. Um, but I'm, I'm seeing a trend that is uh, kind of hooking into a lot of the systemic issues um, that we're facing in this current administration, um, even under a- We have an expression yeah, we yeah, have an expression in um in, in faith and action that the further away from a problem you are, the easier it is to be philosophical. <laughs> and obviously, that's one of the challenges of of university life. Um, it, it, I I just um recently read um Noah uh, uh, Yuval Harari's um twenty first twenty one solutions to the twenty first century. I think is the title, this mm -hmm. third book. And one of the things that really struck me is he says. You know, if, you, if you're ever confused about a situation or you're hearing lots of different perspectives that don't all add up, ask the simple question of where is there suffering happening? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. and, and sort through the situation based on that. So I think one version of that is, um, is really getting out and, and being present, being proximate to um, situations yeah. of injustice, to build relationships with people who are on the short end of the stick communities that are getting the least resources, people who are being oppressed um, based on their race or their income or their, where they live. Um, so mm -hmm. I, 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 that I think is, is part of the answer is to not get too caught up in um, the philosophy of it and really connect to the people. Um, yeah. This is a smaller story, but I have a story in the book where I was organizing in Flint, Michigan, and I was um, in a church um, so the recreation center with maybe 40 or 50 people meeting to try to figure out how to improve things in the community. And the one question came up was this abandoned or partially abandoned um, 
apartment complex next to the church and what should be done with it. And it wasn't until we actually just said, okay, let's get out of this room, which is just mm-hmm. maybe a hundred feet from this apartment complex. It was full, you know, partially burned out and had a lot of um, trash and broken glass. But until we got out and just walked around it, we couldn't mm-hmm. really have a meaningful conversation about what to do. So I, I, I just think that's, that's where I would start if you feel yourself in yeah. a conversation or in your life where, you know, you're confused or upset or you don't like what you're reading in the newspaper, we're not sure what to do, mm-hmm. is, um, is, is really like talk to another person <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and get involved in something that's, that's local. Don't stop there, but um, I really mm-hmm. want people to not make this whole process of social change too complicated or mysterious. Yeah. People have been doing it since we have been human beings. We know how to work together and create change. Um, yeah. But it just requires that we talk to each other um, and show up. So just show up and, and be present. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm in a state that uh, has has plenty of challenges and issues um, and detention centers and, and the like. Um, prison industrial complex, I could go on. But the you know with the recent vote um, and the so-called heartbeat bill, uh, you know women are showing up in Handmaid's Tale red outfit, red capes with white hats, right to yeah. challenge uh, and also call attention to you know the dystopian future that we're leaning into. Um, so, um, well, how? Uh, how do does faith in action practice um, inclusivity in terms of, I mean, we've talked about race. What about uh, gender sexuality issues, especially trans issues? Um, there are faith-based communities. I've had students do summer internships in who do fantastic work. Um, they, one in particular that I won't name, um, has kind of drawn the line around uh, sexuality issues and is a pretty heteronormative space. Um, so how does how does faith in action, you know, create um, a safe and and bold space for folks who come from different backgrounds? Yeah, I'd say that we're 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 an expression of the great diversity of the American religious landscape. So. Um, uh-huh. You know, our work is is driven by local communities. So congregations come together in their communities to build organizations, and they tend to be pretty representative. And and that's that's mm-hmm. really you know one of the key things for us is to say that if you're going to be part of our network, you you've got to be bringing together the religious communities that reflect and represent the breadth and diversity of your um, environment and, and also creating space for people of faith who may not be members of a congregation, but, um, yeah. but, but still are seeking that. Um, and, and I think you'd find within the Faith in Action Network um, a lot of diversity, a lot of willingness to connect with people um, and um, listen, build relationships across different. So I, I can't, I, you know, I can't think of another place. Well, there, you know, there are a lot of places. So I don't think we're unique, but I think it is a place that people who participate 
value the ability to connect with people who may think differently or come from different theological backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So we're, we just encourage people to um, show up, tell their story, pray from their own tradition, not water down their tradition, reflect on what their tradition teaches, and mm-hmm. um, make sense of the you know tensions and arguments that take place in the in in your own tradition, and then listen to people. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. that's what you're going to get. You're not going to necessarily get. Um, something that's trying to make people think in a particular way or take sides um, on all the issues that affect, um, you know, that, that relate to religion and American society. Yeah. We're, we're not trying to be everything. We are trying to create spaces where people can come together to fight for racial economic justice in a way mm-hmm. that takes into account gender and is, is inclusive, where people feel accepted, recognized, mm-hmm. seen, belong. Um, yeah. But these are broad spaces that have, you know, congregations that range from evangelical to Catholic to mainline to Jewish to Muslim. So um, mm-hmm. it's not, it, it's not, you know, it's not anyone's dream of what, um, what they might, you know, imagine. It's really reality of um, mm-hmm. the messiness of um, yeah. trying to bring together a cross section of religious institutions in a, in a city, in a state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, doing this work, um, has there been anything, I guess, more recently um, where you've been surprised that you thought you knew a situation, but um, the people's knowledge, there, there were things that you learned for the first time? Oh, every day. So <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Um, I, have a, I, I have a friend and colleague, um, Desmond Mead, who um, is an attorney, um, formerly incarcerated, led the campaign to restore voting rights in, in Florida. Um, and it was, it was probably six, uh, probably six, eight years that Desmond has been um, talking to everyone he's met <laughs> uh-huh. about the need to reenfranchise what was in ultimately one point by 1.6 million people who've lost the right to vote in yeah. Florida. And this, I think people know, uh, some people know that measure passed um, mm-hmm. in 2018. And I was um, really surprised, even though I, I worked with Desmond on it, I, I, I um, you know, I followed it for a long time and I wasn't really sure that it could pass in a midterm election year. So this is more on the political front. I really thought this this measure to, to it needed 60% of the voters in Florida to prove the reenfranchisement of mm-hmm. um, people with criminal records and um, and it passed in a midterm election which just seemed um, very yeah. unlikely and I think it's a sign of the both the openness that people have to many of the ideas around racial and social justice that we're advocating. And also the just growing level of political engagement. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a pleasant, that was a yeah. pleasant surprise that we didn't have to wait till 2020 in a general election year to to win that ballot measure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, well, uh, Faith in Action also has something called rapid response teams. Could you tell me more about what that means? Yeah, so as part of the other work to protect um, immigrant families from being broken up by detention and deportation, um, La Red, which is our um, campaign that brings together 
um, immigrant communities and communities that uh, want an immigration system that is is really pro-family and supportive of families and supportive of communities, um, developed a number of strategies to protect and respond and tell the story. So um, beginning in San Francisco, a great organization based in action in the Bay Area, um, mm -hmm. just built some really good systems for people, neighbors, members of people's congregations to show up um, really in real time and using text messages when there's a raid or when a family's threatened by um, huh. by um, by by detention and um, so we've really tried to shine a light. I think people don't always understand. Um, the, if I was talking about the border, the border, the border, but so much of the pressure that this administration is putting on American families is is in in our own communities, uh -huh. and um, we've seen people who um, had U.S. citizen children who were living and working in this country for more than a decade, mm -hmm. rounded up, deported yeah. back to El Salvador, you know, for mm -hmm. no reason but um, to make a political point or, um, yeah. you know, it, it just, it, it, no one supports that. And no one wants their neighbors, um, kids, parents, um, taken away and, and sent to places they haven't lived in 15 or 20 years. So it's not the kind of country we're at where we are. So I think th that rapid response has been designed to really not only support people, but also shine a light on it mm -hmm. and what's really happening. Yeah, because a lot of uh, folks don't know what's going on and are just locked into the ideological fight. Um, so I wanted to read um, just a, a couple of sentences from your book that I find to be so hopeful in, in the midst of, you know, all the work and sometimes um, trying to find a way out of no way. Um, let's see. Um, you say, this is uh, in your conclusion, uh, the true value of the conversations and practices in Stand Up may be that they help us stay human amid, human amid darkness and uncertainty. They give us courage not only to keep fighting, but to care for one another. Uh, and you talk about the Chilean miners uh, caring for one another during their long ordeal underground. Um, could you uh, talk about what, you know, the, the things behind that, which are, you know, you know, building relationships, care, um, you know, the, the religious concept of love and, and resiliency and, and other things. Um, as a way of, you know, building a base of, of hope through these times. It's interesting, Tina, because I did, uh, earlier in the year, I did uh, a, a lot of book events related to the book. And okay. as I traveled, and the, the more events I did, the more hopeful I got. Mm -hmm. And um, we'd start by just, uh, just really just organizing by asking people um, to think about some special power, capacity, or strength they have that's important yeah. in this moment, um, given the challenges we're facing, and then to turn to someone and share it. And I oh. can never get people to stop talking after that. But <laughs> um, but it just it just creates um, a, a, a feeling and a sense of possibility. So in mean, the book's full of sort of these very practical tips for um, 
you know, before you go off on the topic of the meeting, just create space for people to talk to each other, and then everything else becomes so much easier. So um, those events that started with that sharing of, of something hopeful um, then make people more hopeful. I, I, per, I think we're in this, this, this moment where there's, there's two forces and we're like racing against time. And we know that climate change, concentration of income, yeah. migration, there's a set of like things we've unleashed, which create really challenging um, cycle of like a, a cycle of bad things. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, I think we are becoming better people, better humans, where we understand better our connectedness that we can't just sort of imagine that we're individuals who have no obligation to each other. I look mm-hmm. at younger, um, like my own children, I look at younger people, I think they get it. And mm-hmm. they know that we've got to struggle together to create a different world. It's in our hands. So yeah. I think that race against time um, is, is one that I think we will win, but it's going to take extraordinary effort. No one can sit on the sidelines and expect someone else will do this work. Mm-hmm. If we want to survive, I mean, we're really talking about surviving as a species, about the planet being a place where people can live in a healthy and safe way. Um, if we want to create that kind of world, yeah. each of us, everyone, everyone <laughs> needs to be involved yeah. and we need to be willing to go talk to everyone and get yeah. them off the sidelines. So um, this isn't a small number of people who are going to do this. This is like really trying to bring everyone in, but it starts with two, three, four, five people, all the organizations that I talk about in the book and all the organizations that we learn about in history um, were pretty much started by a small number of people. And sometimes it's one or two or three people who talk to each other. So just small numbers of people create enormous change. That's history of the civil rights movement. Um, Right. it, It just begins with a couple people imagining what could be different. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you're describing something that's also intergenerational, you know, where you have the, you know, the the veterans of the civil rights movement, um, thinking of my congressman, John Lewis, and, and then um, younger people coming up to um, uh, organize walkouts, school walkouts, to get politicians to think about climate change policy. Um, so it's... Um, it's becoming uh, and the, the intergenerational conversation is, is so important here. Um, I had an amazing experience where um, I think it was 2014. We were launching a, um, a voting program called Let My People Vote. It's not called yeah. Together We Vote or Faith Votes. And um, we last last year we had con- faith in action had conversations. Grassroots leaders, volunteers of faith in action had had a million plus conversations with voters who are usually ignored by parties and candidates, encouraging people to engage in voting and then listening to their concerns. Um, so we were planning a, a launch for this, and Congressman Lewis uh-huh. agreed to be the, um, a speaker on this national webinar to launch uh-huh. the voting program. Yeah. Um, and I was driving to Philadelphia, and I got a call on my cell phone, um, from Congressman Lewis saying, well, um, help prepare me for this phone call. 
And I thought, this is amazing. I, that's impossible. <laughs> There's not a word I can say to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, but the level of humility and um, the willingness to spend a lifetime committed mm-hmm. um, to change, that's available to all of us. That's mm-hmm. what we're looking for. It, it, you don't have to be John Lewis, but the, the, the willingness to say, I'm in this today, tomorrow, and the next day. I'm not going to stop until we get to a promised land. Um, and I'm not going to let, let things that, that seem like barriers get in my way um, because I believe that a different world is possible. So that's what we're looking for. And I do think that's very intergenerational and, um, and that it's the young people today that are going to um, lead the way if we don't totally destroy this planet before they get in charge of the institutions and organizations that make the society work. Yeah, yeah. And that reminds me of uh, when the U.S. Social Forum was here. Um, you know, the, the motto was uh, another South is possible or another U.S. is possible, uh, but also that another U.S. is necessary. Uh, which is what you're saying in terms of we all have to be involved um, all in to make this happen. Yeah, we're at Faith in Action, we're doing a lot of work internationally to build um, strong movement, strong organizing relationships between people of faith who are organizing for change in Central America and the Caribbean and Africa and Europe um, with those in the United States so that we can learn from each other and mm-hmm. ultimately inspire each other to create a, a faith movement that can really advance a vision of um, equality, um, belongingness, inclusion, um, Mm. and just making sure that kids and families have what they need to live good, safe lives. It's not that complicated. Yeah, yeah, and basic human rights. Um, Well, thank you, Gordon, for agreeing to be on the podcast. This is very inspiring and uh, gives me hope. I'm not going to listen to the news the rest of the day, so I can carry this hope with me for just a little while. <laughs> my hope high. Thank you, Tina, for everything you're teaching and doing and, and, um, and, and for including me in this conversation. Well, thanks. I hope we get to meet in person one day. Okay, thanks. Thank you for listening to Nothing Never Happens, the Radical Pedagogy Podcast. The team working on podcast includes China Wilson, producer, Aliyah Harris, audio engineer. Our theme and interstitial music is by Lance Eric Hagen with Aviva and the Flying Penguins. The ending music, this time, Prayer for Puerto Rico, written and performed by Paul Myrie. All of Paul's music is available for download on ReverbNation.com.